Ooh, you didn't tell me you were a brainiac. Welcome, welcome, welcome into Leather Brains. Your host here, Slapdog, and you are listening to episode 159. I woke up this morning in very good spirits because Arthur Smith has been fired. That is not all. There is a lot to discuss today for the conclusion of the regular season of the NFL, and I can't talk about it alone. Nobody wants to listen to me rant by myself. So, of course, today I have Scotty Del Rey and Alan Casanova Castro. Gentlemen, welcome in. It's good to see you. Yo, yo, yo. 2024. 2024, baby. Uh, the playoffs are on the horizon. We now have the full scope of the playoff picture, so we're going to be discussing that today, as well as the conclusion of Week 18. So the Bucks. we're going to talk about the Colts and how they blew it. We have a whole synopsis of Dan Campbell's journey throughout the NFL this year that Scotty would like to unveil. There's a lot to talk about, so let's just kick things off with the Falcons game. Before I do that, however, I do want to let everybody know who tunes into our show and is a huge supporter in the Brainiac community. We are going down to one show a week now that we are in the playoffs. So every Monday night, we will be going live, and the podcast will be coming out Tuesday. So just want to give everybody a heads up. That is going to be the schedule for the remainder of the NFL season. Also, quick plug for everybody, you do not have to subscribe to Peacock to listen to our show. So that's also a bonus. Yes. Yeah. We, I'm not sure how you guys feel about that, but you don't have to do that on this show. No, no Peacock subscriptions no. here. We we're all the cocks you need and we're free. <laughs> so we're not going to put it. We're not going to pigeonhole you guys and, and make you subscribe. This is a free show and we do appreciate the support once a week on Mondays. All right, let's talk about it. Let's talk about Arthur Smith in the end I don't even want to call it an era. I don't want to call it anything good, but I was excited about it. I still am excited about it. I think Arthur Smith, as I have said too many times on the show, is a scumbag piece of shit, and I am so mm-hmm. happy to see him go. But the, the really funny thing, and I'm sure everybody in the NFL landscape has seen this, to include both of you guys, is the conclusion of the Saints-Falcons game. So... Arthur Smith and the Falcons got rolled by the Saints. It at one point was forty-one to seventeen, and then Laser Jameis. We'll get into that in just a second, but I, I want to start this by showing the clip of Arthur Smith verbally abusing the head coach for the Saints. So here's the clip. Smith's hot. That Dennis Allen scored a touchdown at the end. He is hot. He said, "What are you doing?" And he's going at Dennis Allen. <laughs> you can read his lips, and you know. And I think he's got a right, by the way, to do that. The Saints did not. So, uh, yeah, there was uh, there was some words that were said. Um, Sports bitch. Society, appreciate you tuning in, brother. Thank you. There were some words that were said uh, that were that looked to be uh, quote What in the fuck are you doing? Um, was what Arthur Smith had said as he sprinted towards Dennis Allen, the head coach for the Saints, at the end of that game. The reason being, as I mentioned, is. Uh, it was 41-17, to 17, and then the Saints, uh, they intercepted the ball, ran it down, and got tackled at the one-yard line. Jameis Winston went over to head coach Dennis Allen and said, hey, can we run the ball in here? Is this okay if, if we give Jamal Williams the ball so he can run it in for a touchdown on the one? They were obviously beating the shit out of the Falcons already, and Dennis Allen said, hey, no, we're not going to do that because that's just kind of unsportsmanlike, and it, it don't do that. So what did Laser Jameis do? Laser Jameis decided to ask the team what they should do. Is according to his, uh, according to Laser Jameis here, and Jameis said it was a team decision, and we decided that w- instead of 
running victory formation as we should. We were going to line up in victory formation, hand it to Jamal Williams on the one-yard line, and get a touchdown. So absolutely comical. And Jameis Winston actually, and I'm going to show the clip here in just a moment, Jameis Winston was actually interviewed at the end of the game about this entire situation, and I found it to be completely comical, so I wanted to share it with everybody. DA, because the play was was victory. Yeah. Uh, but I also explained to DA that it was a team decision. Yeah. And uh, and I think when you have the a team morale, and I asked the guys, I say, guys, like, what do you, what do you want to do? Yeah. We know how much Jamal means to this team, and and I understood from DA's perspective. So I I, I give him that. Yeah. yeah but D, DA didn't condone that at all. Yeah. You know, he he didn't. However, uh, we decided as a team to do it, and man, we got an interception to the one yard line. Yeah. You know, like. Yeah. So if 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 we were Score, but it still would have been disrespectful. Right. You know. So uh, Tyron wasn't in on it, was he? No, Tyron was not, not in. <laughs> no, uh, but it was it was a, it was an offensive mean, team stopping discussion. Stopping uh, the one. However, when you when you return the ball to the one yard line, and you have that opportunity. We just had that opportunity, and uh, and we decided. Do you think it's the kind of thing though that is forgotten fairly quickly, or you know what I mean? Like, I, I think it should be forgotten, especially when the score is already forty-one seventeen. Uh, so I, I don't know how how much worse it can get. Uh, but I got a ton of respect for Austin Smith and the coach that he is. Uh, I think they do some incredible things. I didn't mean to. I didn't want to disrespect. Him. That was not my intention. Uh, my intention was to lead the team that I've been with the entire year, and we made a collective decision that we wanted to get one of our guys who they fight with blood, sweat, and tears every game in the end zone. And uh, I'm going to feel good about that. Yeah. So no but, regrets? Huh? No. No regrets? Uh, well, nope. this is the thing. It's about the team. It's not about regrets. It's not about anything else. It's about us as a team making a collective decision. But I do apologize to Dennis. I apologize to DA because that was not his call. All right, so essentially, as everybody just heard, uh, Laser James took it upon himself and said this was a team decision. Uh, I mean, no disrespect to Arthur Smith, but we're going to get a touchdown here because I want a touchdown. But it wasn't about him wanting a touchdown. It was about Jamal Williams, who led the league in rushing touchdowns last year, and this was his first rushing touchdown of the season. They wanted to give him the opportunity at the very end of the year to give him to you know let him get in the end zone, and I love it. It's like... They need to move the Saints to a small Central American country because this is a revolution, and I dig it. I'm here for it. So I'm excited. Laser Jameis is just a blessing to everyone. He, he is. I I've seen a lot of talking heads in the NFL landscape saying that Laser Jameis should be fired for this, and the reason being, of course, is that he, you know you hear Jameis say Da was not a part of this, and that's Dennis Allen, their head coach. Dennis Allen gave him the play and he called the audible. So like I've seen people saying that he should be fined. I don't know what you would find him for because he got the team a touchdown and like that's the game, right? It's more of a courtesy than anything else when you you call in victory formation and you say, hey, the game's over. We're done here. And uh, he decided not to do that. So, I, I mean, like, in, on a serious note, obviously this is a hilarious situation. And what better way for the departure of Arthur Smith than all this <laughs> to come out? But like... Is it kind of fucked up, or is it is it just like a whatever move? Should Jameis be penalized? Like, what are your guys' takes on this thing? No. I think the only time, like, one, running up the score, I think unless you're coaching, like, YMCA ball and it's, like, little kids is, like, the only time I think you can get upset. But, like, this is professional. This is a professional sport. You should score as many points as you can. From a Vegas perspective, the over had already hit. I think it was set at, like, 42 or 41 and a half. So it wasn't like there's any of that in play either. I think it was more just Arthur knew it was coming. He was pissed off. I think the only thing is somebody wants to, they were in a victory formation and then ran it in off the victory formation. So that was a little bit like, 
ah, that's like, faking if, that's, the like uh, that's like faking the <laughs> kneel, like on a kick return, you know, where you're like, I'm not down. I'm going to keep running. It's like probably not in the best spirit of the game. Like, so I get that. But no, I think anybody getting too upset about this. I mean, it's dumb. In the end, they'd already won. It didn't matter. Falcons were gone. Falcons were done. Smith was getting fired. I'm sure he was like fired as that as they punched that one in. So I think it's just <laughs> it's a little ridiculous. And Jameis, Jameis Winston, he's a national treasure. I love him. I think he's hilarious. He is who he is, regardless of what's going on around him. He doesn't care. He's he was that way when he was starting. He's that way when he's on the bench. And if you're the head coach, I think it's hilarious that he because I was kind of wondering, like, did he throw his team under the bus by saying, like, that wasn't my call? Because I'm like, dude, you're the head coach. Like, these all have to be your calls. Like, what kind yeah. of dissent do you have on and your own team if you're not calling that play? But the fact that Jameis even stood up for all of his teammates was like, no, nah, this is our call. We just we wanted to do it. Like, that locker room has to be pretty tight. It's a shame, it's a shame we won't see them, you know, in there doing any damage. But, like. Um, well, like, do, yeah. do you think it begs it begs a question at this point? Like, does Dennis Allen not have the respect of the locker room if they're going to do that? And I think that is part of the other narrative that people are writing. No, I think, in my opinion, he does because I think this just shows he was letting his players. I think they felt comfortable to just make that call. Like, I wish he would have just said team decision. It was a team decision, like him included. I didn't mm-hmm. like that he separated himself from that, but yeah. I don't think like the players would have felt like they were thrown under the bus. I think he was just kind of like, "Hey, I let my team play how they want to play," and I think a lot of coaches do that. And I, it, it was, it's just funny. It was just a whole a hilarious end to a game that otherwise was kind of a nothing mm-hmm. <laughs> up until that point. Well, and and too, like I said it already, but it would be one thing if the the purpose of the team was like, "Oh, we hate the Falcons. We hate Arthur Smith. We want to run up the score." That wasn't the purpose of this play. The purpose of the play was to get a good player an opportunity to score, which he hasn't done all season. It had nothing to do with the Falcons. It had nothing to do with Arthur Smith. They just wanted Jamal Williams to get a touchdown. That's that's the end of it. And I'd which, feel way way worse for Arthur Smith if he didn't shave his mustache. He decided to shave his mustache. He looks like a babyface moron. So no sympathy. He's always, None. He's always looked like that. And just if, if you didn't know. Um, yeah, and I think I, the, the thing I took away from this is that Jamal Williams must garner quite a bit of respect in that locker room for them to do something like that. Um, and, I, and I thought it was cool. And I for a lot of reasons, obviously, Jamal Williams getting the touchdown. But the icing on the cake was like, this is the way that Arthur Smith is going to go out. And I could not be any happier about it. So I, I'm glad that Arthur Smith is no longer associated with the Falcons organization. I think most Falcons fans probably also feel that way. It's time for a new regime, and and I've already seen murmurs um, that if the Patriots do part ways with Bill Belichick, the Falcons would be very heavily interested in having him come their way. Uh, that that's not me just making shit up. That's actually uh, Diana Rossini on over on the Twitter over there um, had even tweeted that. So there's murmurs in the NFL scape that 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 could be a potential as well. I don't know if that's actually going to come to fruition or not, but I think most people are probably an upgrade from Arthur Smith. So I'm excited to see what the Falcons do with that team and that organization. But let's uh, let's pivot over to the Bucks, Scotty. Yeah, I just want to talk about the Bucks for a second. Uh, we're going to get more into their situation as we get into the playoff picture toward the end of the episode. But we talked a little bit about them the last couple weeks, and you know the Bucks went on that four or five game run where they looked really good. They looked like a legitimate playoff contender, and now two games in a row, they did win this week. Obviously, they clinched the division, but they just ha- they don't look very good. They ended up beating the Panthers nine to nothing. No touchdowns scored on either side. So I just want to talk about the Bucks for a second. So Baker Mayfield went twenty for thirty two for one hundred and thirty seven yards. Rashad White 
kind of went back to being inefficient. Like we, uh, we knew him at the beginning of the season and last year, 19 carries, 75 yards, no touchdowns. Mike Evans was irrelevant. Three catches for 22 yards. Um, I just want to know, is this a legitimate playoff team? And they're, you know, obviously they're facing off against the Eagles in round one who have their own problems. Um, what do we think about the Bucks? Is this is you know they're playing this game of primetime on Monday? Obviously, it's the playoffs, so every game pretty much is primetime. Uh, but do we think this is going to be a good game, or is this have potential to be a real dumpster fire? I think it's probably. I lean more towards dumpster fire um, uh, because it's what team's going to show up here. I mean, the Eagles, like you mentioned, they have their own problems. We've we saw that. We've continued to see that the last few weeks, and I don't. No, I, I have a feeling the Eagles are going to figure it out here and make a deep playoff run, but I also would not be surprised if the Eagles don't whatsoever because they have looked completely dilapidated on both sides of the ball recently. So it, it, for me, the Bucks are the Bucks. I don't think they're 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 going to... I mean, obviously they made it to the playoffs. I was going to say they, they are going to. Um, I don't think they make a deep run. I really don't. I think that most of the other teams over on that division are just a little bit better than the Bucks. I think they're, they kind of made a splash in in a really shitty division, and that's kind of how I view them. I think I think for the Eagles this is a sneaky game and not that the Eagles should be overlooking anybody at this point in time with how they've ended the season <clears throat> but I think the Bucks have a veteran defense I think they have some pieces that know what they're doing I think the only way the Bucks get out of this round is they uh it's a low scoring defensive game like that's the only way Baker can't turn the ball over they have to control the ball they have to turn over Hurts and that offense a few times stop them from scoring if, if A.J. Brown's hurt, if Jalen Hurts' hand is not quite right, like this does have a recipe for being just like a sloppy, low-scoring game that I think the Bucks could win. But I don't – like obviously full strength, <clears throat> I don't think that could happen. So those are a couple things. That, Nick Sirianni's got to figure that shit out with the Eagles in a hurry because that's unacceptable for that team to be playing as poorly as they are with all the weapons that they have. And this shouldn't be a game, but they can make it be a game if that defense, if the Bucks defense gets to control the line of scrimmage, gets to control how this game is run up and down the field. Well, not only that, but we've seen the Bucks' offense perform really, really well under certain certain circumstances, and we know that they do have some weapons. When Baker's playing well, he's got a couple pass catchers that he can really get the ball to effectively, and Rashad White, through the second half of the season, was phenomenal against an Eagles defense that started the season out being pretty stout against the run, but you know, halfway through the season, they can't stop anything. They can't stop the pass. They can't stop the run. We could end up seeing the Bucks look like a great offense against this Eagles defense. And unless the Eagles are able to do something on offense, right, they might have to score 35 points to stay in this game, which is crazy to think about against Baker Mayfield. Yeah, I, and I, like I said, I, I think the Bucks are not going to make a deep push, but it, the Eagles are just a complete question mark right now because we know what the roster is. We know what they're capable of. It's just we haven't really seen it as of late, and that's the concern. So uh, I'm interested to see what happens on this game, but let's let's move over to the Colts game. The, uh, the Colts absolutely blew it against the Texans, and I, I don't know if you guys had the opportunity to watch this game, but it was actually a really good game, like to be honest with you both. It was I, – I thought it was – very competitive. It was winning in for either the Colts or the Texans. So whoever won that game was was going to be in. Uh, and then this is what we're calling our Mike Wazowski game of the week because the Texans won this game 23-19. So it's fourth and one on the Texans. It was about the tw- I'm I'm gonna I don't have the exact statistics in front of in front of me, but it was fourth and one on the Texans 25 ish, with roughly two minutes left on the clock, and uh, the Colts are down by more than a field goal, so they have to go for it, and they did. Gardner Minshew's pressure quickly, and he throws somewhat of a sidearm ball 
to not Jonathan Taylor, not to Zach Moss, but their third string running back, Tyler Goodson, which was not good. It was actually bad. I I don't hate the call here. I really don't. I think it was the right call. Obviously, it's fourth and one. The game's on the line. You have to go for it. But the, the problem that I have and a lot of people have is who in the fuck is Tyler Goodson and why is Jonathan Taylor or even I would accept Zach Moss not on the field. I know Jonathan Taylor was struggling with injury a little bit throughout that entire game and he was kind of on the field off the field. This is the game. If you do not get this fourth and one and they didn't, the game is over and that's exactly what happened. So my question is, where is Zach Moss? Where is Jonathan Taylor? And why are you playing a third string running back? I've seen a lot of people throw a lot of shade and a lot of hate at Gardner Minshew for the throw. He was getting pressured. He kind of, like I said, had to sidearm it a little bit. He hit Tyler Goodson in the hands, and Tyler Goodson dropped the ball. So I can't really blame Gardner Minshew. Yeah, the ball placement could always be much better in any sort of sort of situation. But, you know, we're taught in peewee football. When the ball hits you in the hands, you catch the damn ball. That's not what happened here, and the Colts blew this game away. They were that close to to clinching the, the playoffs there. So what, what were your guys' thoughts? I mean, am I accurate here, or do you guys disagree with me on anything I said? I think you're right. I think you can look at the personnel and say, why wasn't one of the other running backs in? I think, uh, if I remember correctly, Jonathan Taylor was a little banged up um, in the second half, so I could understand why maybe they were sitting him maybe a little bit more. They're professionals. I think if you're getting paid that amount of money to play football, it's expected that you catch the ball, uh, Chiefs wide receivers. And if you're (laughs) if you're not if you can't make that play, honestly, that's like what separates a lot of these players from their second contract. Like, I don't think the play call was wrong. He was wide open. The throw wasn't the best. Like it was a little bit on a line. He had to reach a little bit down for it, but it did hit him in his hands like in that in those moments. That's what separates these good teams from great teams and playoff teams and Super Bowl teams. And even when we come into the playoffs and we look at some of these teams that are advancing, like that's what it's going to come down to. It always comes down to a play like that or somebody making the right call, wrong call. And it's easy to second guess it, but it was open. I felt like it was the right call. They were attacking like it was perfect. Like they didn't just try to run it into a pile. They had the open guy. So I did. I think it's just unfortunate he dropped it. But I agree. You don't want to put a guy that maybe doesn't see the field as much in that position because that's kind of the result you get. Yeah, it's this was a trifecta of three different people fucking up. Um, Gardner Minshew could have made a better throw. Obviously, difficult throw, you know, getting getting pressured, but it could have been a better throw. Goodson obviously should have caught the ball, and Goodson shouldn't have been in the game. You know, we've talked about Jonathan Taylor being kind of banged up in this game, but go look at the at the play sheet from that drive. Jonathan Taylor had like nine carries on that mm-hmm. drive alone. He was fine. He was ready to rock and roll. I think they leaned on him so much that he needed a breather and they got down to fourth and one and he was, you know, maybe not in his top shape because he's breathing hard on the sidelines. And so they did what they had to do and it didn't work out. But at the end of the day, coach, quarterback, running back, all fucked up on the same play and it just happened to be the play that cost him the game. So it's unfortunate. But cost him the playoffs. I, yeah, cost in the playoffs, yeah. But I also don't want to necessarily everyone it's going to it's natural to focus on that one play, but we forget the drive before when CJ Stroud led the Texans, I don't remember what it was, but it was something like 85 or 90 yards down the field to score a go-ahead touchdown during which they got a couple penalties, they took a big sack, and CJ Stroud dug that team out of that hole and got them ahead in that game and if you had any doubt that cj stroud is going to be an elite quarterback in this league that drive alone should have quelled those doubts 
Yeah, I mean, that kid, I am so impressed with him. He is, uh, he's certainly, the talking heads in the NFL media are um, putting him on a high pedestal, and they should. I mean, he is playing absolutely lights out. Nobody expected this out of the Texans or him, and he was kind of one of the the last quarterbacks that was um, drafted in the big three last year. So I'm really impressed with him. I think Texans fans, you've got to be excited for the future. And and to be honest with you, you talk about the Colts and how they kind of blew it here. The Colts are still also in a really good position, and I'm excited to see what they do next year. I mean, Michael Pittman's going to be a free agent, so they kind of got to figure some stuff out. Jonathan Taylor's going to be around, and then they're going to get Anthony Richardson back, and let's see what he can do to further unlock this offense. I, I, While the Colts blew it, it was a bad call as far as bringing the third string out, and, and there were some questionable decisions that were made along that. I, I still think the Colts overall, they've got to be pretty excited for, for years to come. 100%. I agree. I mean, you look back at how this season ro- played out for them. You had Jonathan Taylor out. You know, he was whole, you had the whole thing with him and Jim Irsay to start the season. You had the starting quarterback go down. You had Minshew kind of holding the ship together, and they were what a handful of plays away from you know making making the playoffs. So this team wasn't even full strength. If I'm a Colts fan and I'm sitting there, I'm like, listen, as much as that sucked, I think given the circumstances, you would take how the season unfolded because you're like we have a lot to cook with here yeah agreed um i want to move on and i want to let everybody that is watching and listening know we don't just get up here and start talking we typically have show notes associated with it keeps us on track it keeps the flow it keeps the stats it keeps all that going we create a show note for every single show that we do scotty has filled what i would describe as a small thesis (laughs) of uh, what is about to occur here. So I'm very excited for him to unpack this, but it is a Dan Campbell synopsis of the season. Scotty, why don't you just go ahead and and lead the charge here with uh, the Dan Campbell story? Oh yeah. We'll start off with a little bit of context. Um, I, if you've listened to the show for any length of time, you know that I've been critical of Dan Campbell um, sometimes unfairly, ninety percent <laughs> of the time, very fairly, um, and we've had arguments about this because Hunter loves Dan Campbell, um, and so we we talk about him quite a bit. Um, you know, it's the new year. Every time the year ends nowadays, everyone posts their their Spotify raps of all those songs or podcasts that they listen to throughout the year. I did a, a Dan Campbell coaching wrapped. It is my opinion. Uh, or let me say this, it it was my opinion prior to doing this that Dan Campbell needs a lot more scrutiny. Um, obviously, his team's in the playoffs. Obviously, the Lions are doing better than they have in a very long time. Uh, a very good team overall, and I think Dan Campbell plays a big part in that, and he deserves credit there. But I think he deserves a lot more scrutiny than what he's getting. And the mm. reason I say this is because, you know, we've talked about, I don't know, 20 times Dan Campbell's bad fourth down decision-making where he's made some stupid call. They've gone for a fake punt on their own 20 yard line or something. And it cost them the game, which that happened several times this season. Um, you know, we we've talked about that quite a bit. And it, when I was looking at these stats to try and put together an idea of how he's coached all season, I couldn't find a single article criticizing him for multiple bad fourth down calls. The media loves this guy. The football world loves this guy. And I think it's totally, (laughs) totally misguided. So I spent Sunday night after the game and then this morning going through, I I reviewed every single fourth down call where he went for it on fourth down, which by the way, he did that 40 times. The only team that's done that more in the league is the Carolina Panthers. And we know why that is because they always are losing. So he, he goes for it on fourth down more than anybody else in the league. So I just put together a quick summary. (laughs) 
what I think to be the most important fourth down calls that he made. You could have learned a language with all this time you spent. I know. I'm impressed. Yeah. You could have been on Duolingo. Your wife would have been impressed. <laughs> I, I don't know if I'm smart enough for that. Uh, but here's the thing. I, I also went into this trying to be fair because I know obviously I'm biased. So I, I went in as optimistically as I could. As I was looking at these things, I said, if if there's even a chance that this call was the right call, I'm not going to count it against him. So in my mind, going for it 40 times, I counted 14 times that he went for it on fourth down, which is 35% of the fourth down attempts uh, that I would call into question. I'd say are questionable, which I think is fair. You know, that's a pretty low number. Um, the number of times or the number of games with at least one questionable one questionable fourth down call is 10. So 10 out of the 17 games, I think he made at least one call on fourth down that was questionable. That's 58% of the time. Coincidentally, his win percentage in those 10 games is only 50%. All five of his losses, he had at least one fourth down call that I think was a dumb call. Uh, as opposed to the other seven games of the season where his win percentage was 100%. I went through all those games as well. I didn't find a single fourth down call that I had a problem with. Either he went for it and I think it was justified or he punted it and I thought that was smart. The number of games that I think lost or that his fourth down call lost them the games is three. Three games that I think he blew by making a bad fourth down call. Going through this, one of my biggest takeaways is I noticed his fourth down play calling is schizophrenic. So he takes dumb, silly chances sometimes, which like, like for example, he went forward on fourth and 10 against the Bears <laughs> rather than kicking a 50-yard field goal to make it a one-score game before halftime. And then other it? games... Uh, I don't remember. For all of you watching, God. for all of you watching, he's about twenty percent of the way through his rant. So just everybody. <laughs> no, that's not true. That's not true. Give me another two minutes. It'll be done. It'll be done. Um, and then he takes. Uh, you know, there are other times where I think it would be reasonable to take a chance. Like uh, he could have gone for it on fourth and two at midfield against the Packers because they were down by fourteen points before halftime, and they punted it away at midfield. So just those examples, he is schizophrenic with these play calls. He's not consistent with his risk-taking. Some notably bad calls that I want to talk about. Um, he had three different attempts over the course of the season where he went for it on fourth down inside of his own 30-yard line. One of them cost him the game against the Packers. The fake punt on their own 23-yard line against the Packers cost them that game. He did not elect to kick seven chip-shot field goals which are outside of his own five-yard line. So inside the five-yard line, okay, you can make an argument, go for it, get a touchdown. Outside of his own five-yard line, he decided not to kick seven different chip shot field goals. That cost him 21 points on the season. Field goals under 50 yards, which are reasonable to make in the NFL, right? You can expect your NFL kicker to make a 45-yard field goal most of the time. Field goals under 50 yards not attempted, 10. When they went for it on fourth down, instead of kicking a field goal, that cost him 30 points on the season. But what brings all this up is the most egregious call of them all, which is what we saw this week when he played his starters in week 18, resulting in Sam Laporta injuring his knee, which very well may make a massive impact on their playoff push. They had the division locked up. They had a playoff spot locked up. The only reason to play their starters, which Dan Campbell said, is the chance to move from a three seed to the two seed. In order for that to happen, the Cowboys would have had to lose to the Commanders, which is very unlikely. And we know that because the Cowboys beat the Commanders 45-10 to earlier this season. 
The Cowboys have both won and covered the spread in the last 10 matchups against the Commanders, and the Cowboys were favored in this game by 13 and a half points. So, are you with me still? Yeah, no, I'm I'm here. Um, you got this dummy look in your eyes. <laughs> I, there's just a lot going on. I have some thoughts. I have some thoughts too. I look, it, it the the comical side of this is the fact that and nobody would know this unless we air out the dirty laundry, but we had this exact conversation before this game kicked off. We in our in our group chat, we had said, "Why is Dan Campbell starting his starters? It just doesn't make sense." And I believe, and I, I I can't remember wholeheartedly if it was you, Scotty, or if it was one of the other guys, but I think you had said Dan Campbell's either going to look like a genius or a moron, depending upon if somebody gets hurt or not, because we were all concerned that somebody was going to get hurt, and that's exactly what happened, and then you would have thought the whole city burned down, because then <laughs> everything in the group chat just went crazy. Uh, it was a stupid call. I, I, I still don't understand it. I the only thing that I have come to as far as a conclusion is Dan Campbell did not want Matthew Stafford to go back and face the Lions this week. That's it. But, but here's the thing. I, I, the last point that I'll make actually has to do with exactly that because you could say, all right, Dan, Dan Campbell came out and basically said, we can only control what we can control. If we have an opportunity to get the two seed, we got to go for it, basically, which in a vacuum, okay, that might make sense. But here's the thing. If the, if the Rams lost to the 49ers, the Lions would have played the Packers in round one. If the Lions moved up to the two seed because the Rams beat the 49ers, they would have played the Packers in round one. So either way, there was a very good chance that they were going to have the exact same round one matchup, meaning moving from the three seed to the two seed creates no benefit whatsoever outside of Dan Campbell's own ego. It doesn't affect their playoff first round matchup at all. And and so they actually had just as good of a chance of not playing Matthew Stafford by not getting the two seed as they did by getting the two seed. It made no difference for that matchup. <sighs> Do you think it I don't was know. Dan Campbell's ego, Alan? No, I don't know. I love you, Matt. I love you very much. I just don't know. He delivered the city their first division title in like 30 years. He could have literally gone out there and broke Sam Laporta's knee himself, and they would still be like, <laughs> yeah, sweet, but we still won the division. <laughs> I, I, I hear you. I don't think he's the best X's and O's like coach out there like i don't think he's necessarily out scheming anybody outside of, of a certain few areas but he plays the game and i think this is what endears him to a lot of the, the the hardcore football fans is because he just goes out there he puts you know puts a hammer in in that lip gets it rolling and just starts yelling and getting his team fired up to play and i think I don't the the only other storyline that we're not touching on is I don't know what his contract incentives were. I don't know what the team's incentives were of like getting to 12 wins. Like I know a lot of players have like have all these uh, incentives built into their contracts, which are very heavily like shared out on Twitter. So I don't know if there was something for him getting to 12 wins. I don't know. Maybe that played into it. And monetarily, if you told me I'm going to get an extra million and a half if I get to 12 wins. Yeah, like, fuck, yeah, Sam Laporta go out there baby and i think i think the other way i think the other the other thing is too that they and they addressed this on the on the broadcast was you you don't intend for people to get hurt they could easily get as hurt in week two as they can in week 18 you don't necessarily think like hey i'm not gonna play this guy because he might get hurt i think for older guys that makes sense sam laporta is still you know he's in his rookie year it's not like you know they i don't know if there was him still trying to get him lathered up because there's also um a difference in a, an opinion on do you rest players like are 
Are they going to be rusty when they come out the next week? You know, the Ravens are going to have two weeks off. Are they going to be rusty in two weeks? Because you get, you build up a lather. I don't know. Not my team. I don't get I don't get paid to call it. He delivered them a division title. We'll see what happens in the playoffs. I think he coaches how he coaches. Probably not the best, but I mean, it got him to it's where got, they are right now. Old. So, I, so you got to let it ride. I would argue that in large part this season, they have been winning in spite of his bad play calling not because of it. And I think this is a great example. You look at someone like Sam Laporta, who has become a core element of this offense. And now they're going to have to go at least one game uh, in all likelihood without him. They got lucky he didn't tear his ACL. Like, and, and it just doesn't make any sense because the risk versus reward is, is non-existent, right? Because it doesn't really benefit them to move up to the two seed at all. And so I, what I think actually happened, what I think was going through Dan Campbell's mind is they got screwed by the refs in the game before. He's pissed about it. He basically said as much in several press conferences following that game that, hey, he, should be pissed. he actually said something like, I, I've got a fury. We're going to use it. Or he said something dramatic like he normally does. And then shortly thereafter said, oh, we're playing our starters in this basically meaningless game. It doesn't make any sense. He he deliberately put his players in harm way. I actually don't like the term resting players. That's that's maybe sometimes what you're doing, especially with older guys. But what you're doing when you're putting your players on the field in an unnecessary game that's not going to impact your playoff implications, it's not going to impl- uh, impact your chances to win a division because they already had it locked up, is you're putting them in, in harm's way for no reason. And this is exactly the result that you're afraid of. And it's just a stupid, ridiculous decision. And now Sam Laporta very well may not get to play in the postseason of his rookie year, which is devastating. And it's because Dan Campbell made a dumb call. I, While I agree with you, I think that... The, the starters should have been rested. I think you fundamentally don't like Dan Campbell because of the emotion that he shows. And you want someone who is going to be a stoic Bill Belichick and just put it or an Andy Reed, who's going to put a face on and just deal with it. And then behind closed doors, I think that's you have a problem with Dan Campbell's emotion. Now, I, I do have a problem with Dan Campbell's emotion, but it's not because he's emotional. It's because I think his emotion gets in the way of reason. And this is prime example number I one. I think his players have bought into the emotion. I mean, look at it. This is the first time since when? 1960-something that, that the Lions are, are division winners here? So, 83. 83, thank you. So he clearly is doing something right. He, whether and, and we can't argue that. Now, we can argue all of these questionable play calls. I, we could argue that all day, and and there are some that are are questionable. But at the end of the day, he has produced the result that the Lions are going to the playoffs and division winners. Hasn't been done in a long time. I think he is what the Lions needed. I think he is the coach that the Lions needed, and I think that his players have gravitated to that because they missed something. <clears throat> they missed someone I, who cares. I will say this. I will say this. I think Matt, to give you some credit, I think you are early to the party. Because the expectations are not there for the Lions to go out and win the NFC. And his play calling, is as bad as it is or whatever holes might be there, that's not where the expectations were for this team this year. It was to win the division, get in the playoffs. I think they can win this playoff game. They could easily lose it. Like, who knows? But I think next year, now when the expectations are ramped up and he still does this, it may cost them some games. It may cost them some of that. So I think I think you're a year early on this but i would well, put a pin in this because yeah. this could come back to bite them next year when the expectations then exceed what they've done this year but for this year nobody's going to say anything because he did exactly what everybody wanted him to do well and here's the last thing i'll say and then we can move on is um i've, I've said this with other coaches i've even said this in my time when i wor- worked in politics it's a very similar conversation Gross. um 
I know he's led your team to a division title, and you should be happy about that. I'm very happy for Lions fans. They've gone through a whole shitload of stuff for the last 25 years, uh, 40 years, however long it's been. Um, But you have to be able to criticize your leaders in order for them to improve. If you blindly follow them and say, we love Dan Campbell no matter what, he's never going to change these play-calling issues, and you're never going to get rid of him. So I, I, I like good football. I want there to be good football on TV. I like good competition. I want the Lions to be good for that reason. And he's setting themselves up for failure, at least in comparison to what they could be, by making stupid decisions like this. And now a young rookie is not going to have an opportunity to play in at least one playoff game in his rookie season. And to me, it's, it's criminal. It's devastating. I think what Alan said holds a lot of ground, and I, I just want to emphasize that before we do move on, is I think you are a year early. I, I think the expectation for the Lions was, going into the season, was there were murmurs. There was... <laughs> yeah, the answer's no. no. <laughs> uh, there were murmurs that the Lions were going to be good. There were, and like I believed it. I thought they were going to be good, and, and they are good this year. But nobody's going to sit here and criticize Dan Campbell because he's done something that this team hasn't been able to do for 40 years. Now he's set a precedence. Now he has set the expectation that the Lions are somebody and they have a team that can compete and they are capable of doing it. So next season, if the same result happens and he starts losing some of these games for those questionable calls, yeah, I I agree with what Alan said 100%. I think people are going to provide some more scrutiny to the argument that what are we doing here? You, You did it once and you kind of fiddle fucked your way into it in some aspects but you did it that's great we need to be better and and i don't hate that argument i just think right now given where the lions have been and where they currently are at nobody's gonna sit here and tell slap dan campbell on the wrist and say bad yeah i just a message to lions fans dan campbell cost you the number one seat he cost you three different games this season because of stupid fourth down calls that put you in an insurmountable hole and now sam laporte is injured because you decided to play the last game of the season when you could have had a bye this upcoming week yeah that's a Dan real Campbell? problem for me. Is it Dan Campbell or how much? How and and I'm not saying it's not, but uh, does Ben Johnson, the offensive coordinator, carry any of that with him? Uh, he very well may, but typically those fourth down decisions come down to the head coach. Yeah, I, I would assume that's the case here. Goff also slumped a little bit for a few weeks. He was kind of not sharp. There's a lot of things that go into it. I do think you're a year early. I do think next year will be interesting, especially with the Packers, as they look now to be young upcoming in that same boat where now their expectation now is to win the division so you're just going to see it flip everybody's expectations tiered now look at where the patriots expectations are <laughs> like you know it just it ebbs and flows all the time um so yeah. speaking of a team that did not deal well with the expectations coming into this year and where they were kind of in the middle of the year is the miami dolphins that miami dolphins started the year hot I think we all look back at that Denver game where they put up 70 and we're like, I don't think anybody's going to stop this team. They look primed to win the division. You look at where the Bills were. They were 5-5. Five and five. They fired their offensive coordinator, Ken Dorsey. They didn't go on to finish the season 6-1. and one. And you look at how this has flip-flopped, and you look at even the expectation setting within the same year. Bills fans did not expect to really even be in the playoffs halfway through the season. I know we talked about it. Everybody was talking about it. Like, they're not going to get in. The AFC looked super competitive. You weren't sure what was going to happen. And then you look, it all came down to this last the last week in Miami where the Bills had to go to Miami to play the Dolphins, and the Dolphins got everything they wanted. They got everything at home. They just had to beat them. And, and then more than likely, we're going to have to play the Bills again the following week. But they just couldn't get it done. Josh Allen turned the ball over three times. They had a turnover on downs to end the half. And still, the Bills found a way to win the game. I think... 
if I'm a Dolphins fan or I'm looking at how this team is and what my expectations were, I don't know what more to expect from this team. It's almost like I found it's almost like they found their ceiling. And I don't know if you guys felt that same way where it's like, I think we found the max of what this team can do. And it's unfortunate that they're dealing with as many injuries as they are. But I think it's it's almost like they plateaued. Like they they found what they could do. They caught a reeling Denver team, which I think shaped a lot of the season. A lot of people looked at that game and were like, that's who Miami is. And a lot of people looked at that game and said, that's who Denver is the rest of the year and just tried to like copy and paste week over week. But I think you, you, if you just look at how this played out, if I'm a Dolphins fan, this is it's a travesty you didn't win the division this year. You had everything in your hands. You had the schedule to do it. The Bills had a brutal schedule down the stretch. They played their asses off. They they got it done. And now your reward for this season in which you should have been the number two seed, maybe the number one seed, should have had home games. Now you have to go to Kansas City. You're not going to get any home games. You're going to be playing in Kansas City and then possibly in Buffalo to just try to make it to have the chance to go play in Baltimore. So if I'm a Miami fan, I'm a little distraught about how the season ended. I don't know if you guys feel the same way. Looking at Tua, looking at this offense, I know they didn't have Waddle. Um, it's like, I think this is what Tua is. I don't know if he's going to give you much more than this. I don't think he's going to go out there and win you games down the stretch. And I, I came, coming away from this game, I'm, I'm just very leery if I'm a Dolphins fan thinking of the future of this team, even with all the weapons I have. And my, my thought here is two things can be true at once. Um, that the Buffalo Bills have turned this season around. And in part, that's because they had so many injuries at the beginning of the season. They were playing with basically an entirely second string defense uh, to start the season. And now they're getting healthy and you can see what they're capable of. And so you can't take anything away from Buffalo. But if you listen to the episode last week, uh, Slapdog Yeti and I all unanimously agreed that Buffalo was going to come in and win this game. And the reason for that is largely due to Miami is now dealing with a lot of those same injury problems. Not only mm-hmm. Waddle, but their entire offensive line, several defensive pieces, including Chubb, who got injured in a, a senseless way the week before in a game that was completely out of hand. Um, you know, they're dealing with a lot of injuries right now. I think you look back at the Broncos game, obviously the Broncos defense was uh, terrible at that point in the season. They really turned it around. But you saw what the ceiling of this offense could be when everyone is healthy and everything is clicking. Obviously, you expect that to take a little bit of a backseat when you're dealing with weather and it, it's cold and it's rainy and it's windy and all that stuff at this time of year. Uh, but we saw what they could do. It's just unfortunate that the roster has kind of collapsed at this point in the season and they really need to make exceptional plays in order to make a significant run in the playoffs here. I, I also want to touch on the Tua thing here for a second. I, I, Tua is what Tua is, and I, I think that you know you mentioned the word ceiling, and maybe we have seen that with Tua. I think that that could potentially be a fair assessment. I think if I, I'm not a Dolphins fan, none of us are Dolphins fans, but if I was a Dolphins fan, I'd be pretty disheartened, to be honest. I mean, from the expectation from the early, you know, gunshot at the very beginning of the year where you came out guns ablazing, you you were doing great to what this is now. The Dolphins are frauds. We said that last week, and I, and I continue to think that the Dolphins are frauds. Part of that is due to their injury concerns with both sides of the ball. I, I understand that, but they just haven't been able to win against good teams. They have struggled to do that the entire time. And in a game where Josh Allen was not good, he turned the ball over three times, they still lost this game, and that should not be the case. So I I have a couple trains of thoughts with Tua is Mike McDaniels, the head coach for the Dolphins. Is he not just trying to get the best out of his situation here at the quarterback position? You, you look at what where did he come from? He's, he's a product of Kyle Shanahan. 
Kyle Shanahan has done that for many seasons with the 49ers where he he has a mediocre quarterback or a, an average quarterback is probably a fair statement. And he surrounds him with talent. Jimmy G. They went and got the Trey Lance predicament or situation, and that didn't pan out. And now they have Brock Purdy, who is playing well, and I don't want to take anything away from him. But Kyle Shanahan prototypically wants a game manager in there that's going to make the smart choices and get the ball in the playmaker's hands. And that is kind of – that's Mike McDaniel is from that tree, and he has now gone to the Dolphins. Same thing. I mean, he, they went and got Tyreek Hill because he's a playmaker. They have Jalen Waddle because he's a playmaker. Raheem Mostert, who knew he was a playmaker? Not us until this year. And then uh, Devon A-Chain. So, like, I, I think that's kind of prototypically perhaps the offense that he wants to run. And, and Tua is not great. Tua's not a – I wouldn't mm-hmm. throw him in a top-five quarterback in, in any conversation along those lines. But top 15 – Probably because what Mike McDaniel, what I believe Mike McDaniel's might be looking for is just that guy who's going to minimize your mistakes and get the ball in the playmaker's hand. Do you think? Do you think McDaniel got outcoached by McDermott in the second half? Yeah, I do. I, I and, and I have continued to kind of think that in a lot of different games where it's like they come in with a game plan and their game plan is let Tyreek run really, really fast on, on like a deep slant or, or like a deep out or something and get him a touchdown. And, and that is how their yeah. offense has worked. Defensively, they've really struggled all season and you've seen it. And yes, they do have injuries. Jalen Ramsey was supposed to be there and he was out a large majority of the year, but mm-hmm. they are still losing games that really like I expected them to be a little bit more competitive in. They should have won this game. Like they, yeah. Josh Allen was turning the ball over left and right. He literally put together two touchdown drives all 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 game, and they had a punt return for a touchdown. And you look at that from a Dolphins perspective, and you're like, what more? So the off the offense lets you down, and that's mm-hmm. what we're hanging their hat on with McDaniel. I think with this is gonna he can he has the ability to right a lot of wrongs if they can go into Kansas City and pull this off and come out of there with a the win. I think that Which- just. You guys be Chiefs fans. Like I, I honestly, and put the bias aside for a second and just look at the teams here. Is this anyone's game? Because that's kind of how I look at it. I think the Chiefs are probably a little favored in my mind, but I think that truly it's going to be. It could be a coin flip game. <laughs> I, I, think, I think if this game was played in Miami, uh, there it, it would be dead even. Uh, being played in Kansas City in this weather that we're supposed to have uh, is is going to make things interesting, and I think that's really going to inhibit the Dolphins' offense. Um, but outside of that, just looking at these two teams, obviously seeing the struggles that Kansas City has, um, you know, if if the Dolphins come out firing, I think they can compete against anybody in the league. It just depends on if they put a full game plan together instead of blowing it in the second half. Yeah, I think it's going to come down to Andy Reid versus McDaniel. Who do you think is going to outcoach? I think the first half you'll see it'll be a little even. There'll be a little back and forth, and then it's who can make the adjustments. When, If I'm going to go ahead and, and guess that the Chiefs do make those adjustments in the second half of that game. It's how it's always going to play out. And then like uh, we have somebody on Twitter saying the weather. Like, Yeah, I think the Chiefs are going to do a heavy dose of Pacheco. Right, you know, just right into the teeth of that defense, and just try to. Keep <laughs> and if there's anyone who's in, impervious to cold, I'm guessing it's Isaiah Pacheco. <laughs> I mean, he's impervious to everything. Uh, last thing here before we get into the playoff picture, I know we've kind of talked about the playoffs a little bit here, but I just wanted to note that the Commanders have parted ways with old Riverboat Ron Rivera. So mm. I don't think anybody is shocked by this news. I, I think the Commanders pretty much even came out before the uh, Sunday games and were like, hey, we're going to let you go on Monday. It was already toted around in NFL circles and stuff, so it doesn't come as any sort of surprise. But um, the Commanders are not uh, they are not just – 
waiting until the end of the season. They are already trying to shell out interviews, um, both to Ben Johnson and Aaron Glenn, the offensive and defensive coordinator for the Lions, as well as the Rams defensive coordinator, Raheem Morris. They have already come out and said, we are interested in interviewing you guys. So commanders are looking to make a jump here. I, I am kind of surprised that they haven't said anything about Eric Bieniemy yet. Um, I know a lot of commanders fans are very optimistic that he will get an opportunity to at the very least interview for that position. I think the commanders would be pretty silly not to. And I think Eric Bieniemy should probably be one of the, uh, the higher uh, touted potential head coaches in this, this new, um, this new 2024 season for a lot of different NFL teams. Cause there's a lot of vacancies that are open and he, sh- I think he should, he deserves a spot as one of those guys. So I'm interested to see how that goes. Anything you else think- you guys want to touch on there? No, I was going to say, do you think it should be Eric Bieniemy? Yeah. I, I do. I mean, he came in. I, I think, think so he kind of came in with that reason. And I think that, you know, that was part of his his plan, so to speak, is if things don't work out and, and we don't turn a new leaf and they let Ron go, like, I want that spot. And I think that's kind of why he chose to make a lateral move from going to the Chiefs over there. And you look at the commander's offense this year. The commander's offense was it was it was clicking at times. I mean, they weren't hyper successful, but they were doing really well with Sam Howell who they've kind of already indicated is probably not the future. So if Eric Bieniemy could get his quarterback a choice and they could continue to have some weapons around there, I think I think he would he should be the guy and give him an opportunity because he showed what he could do in one season with that offense, and it looked way better than it did previously. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Sam Howell in there looks interesting. What's funny is they might go from one North Carolina quarterback to another. It looks like <laughs> yeah. they want to draft Drake May, so we'll see how that plays out for them. But I agree. I think uh, Eric Bieniemy made Sam Howell serviceable where I feel like on in most other teams, he would not do even close to what he did yeah. this year. Yeah. Yeah. And if you had any doubts about Eric Bieniemy, just go ahead and look at the offense in Kansas city and look how that offense hey, has performed. Shut your mouth. Fuck you, Matt Nagy. Okay. Let's talk about the playoff picture. I'm going to throw a graphic up here so everybody could follow along if they are watching live, but here we are. So we got the playoffs. We have uh, the playoffs are here, and let's kick things off with the Browns, the Texans. The Browns are two-and-a-half-point favorites here. What do you guys think? Browns or Texans? What do we think, boys? (laughs) I'll go first. I like Houston at home. This is a prime Houston slot, the Saturday afternoon game. Seems like the Texans always get put on this time slot whenever they're in the playoffs, so this is very on-brand for them. Uh, I'll be interested to see, you know, Joe Flacco, as great as he's been, I think that sneaky week of rest of him just kind of sitting around and had to think about everything. I'll be interested to see how he takes that now going to Houston. Uh, I think Houston will be very, very motivated. That stadium's going to be really loud. I think at two and a half, I think the Browns are getting two and a half. I will definitely take that for the Texans. I think they get the outright win. So I'm going to go, I'm going to take the Texans um, getting two and a half here in this game. So you're taking the Texans winning by more than two and a half, correct? Well, just winning. They're Let's getting two and a half. So, okay, yeah. Okay, but we'll do money lines. We'll do money lines. We'll do money lines. We'll do money lines. I'll take the Texans. Okay, Scotty. Um, I am also going to take the Texans, not because I'm as confident as Allen seems to be, but because I want them to win. So I'm going to will the Texans into a second round of the playoffs <laughs> with my desire. I'm going to take the Browns here. I'm going to take the Browns. I think Joe Flacco has uh, has given this offense some new life that they've desperately needed, especially with the entire quarterback situation the Browns have faced. I think the Browns' defense is really scary, and I think that one player doesn't determine everything, but I do think that Tank Dell not being available is going to be detrimental to the uh, Texans' offense this, this, 
go around, and I think that the Browns' yep. defense is just too good. So I'm going to take the Browns on this one. And we should pause for a second, and I, I feel like on this podcast, uh, especially, we have not given the Browns as much credit as they deserve yeah. with all of the hardship that they've gone through, losing a star running back, losing their supposedly star quarterback, having to bring in this old dusty guy, Joe Flacco, and then he's throwing for 300 plus yards per game. Uh, and then obviously this defense has held tough all season long. This this is a team you cannot turn your head at. I mean, th- th- this is a team that has gone through adversity, fought through it, and now here they are. Um, so I, I think the Browns deserve a lot of credit. Stefanski deserves a lot of credit for what they were able to accomplish there. But again, I'm all aboard the C.J. Stroud train. I Look, and I like C.J. Stroud. I just don't think this is their year. So I think this is a good indication of what things could be for them. I don't want to say they're a bad team, but I do think the Browns are going to win this one. Plus, okay. if the Browns win, then it's a reunion of Joe Flacco with the Ravens, and I think that's just a cool narrative. <laughs> that would so. be cool. The, but <coughs> let, it, the, let it be known that Hunter bet against the uh, Texans this last week, too. I did. I the did. Ravens the would be reason. on Ravens would be on suicide watch if Joe Flacco beat them <laughs> with the Browns. They would. they would be on just that whole city would just be on a bridge together, just, just like on one, fire. two, three, let's jump. Let's just jump <laughs> off of it. Um the other thing for anybody watching, we're gonna keep track of these. Um Yeti's not on today, but we'll get his pick as well and we'll keep track of who uh who made who had the best playoff record predicting these games and we'll share at the end. Um so yeah, we're gonna keep track. We're yeah. Share next episode. Let's go to Dolphins Chiefs next. I'm gonna take the Chiefs. You know, we talked about the, this game earlier and kind of gave our thoughts on it. I think that you know, you guys had mentioned that it was it came down to Mike McDaniel's or Andy Reid and the coaching. I think I think Andy Reid is is uh, a little bit more seasoned vet, and I Patrick Mahomes is a hungry man. And the you know, I get that the Chiefs have had struggles offensively and getting the ball rolling. I think Patrick Mahomes he's gonna have to put this game on his shoulders and do what he does. And I do expect the chiefs to win this game. Um, I also am going to take the chiefs. No surprise to anybody. Um, I will disagree. I don't think it's going to have, I mean, obviously Patrick Mahomes is a a huge factor and Andy Reid is another huge factor, but I think uh, as with the chiefs all season, it's going to come down to uh, spags in this defense. And this defense has carried the chiefs to where they are now. And I think that's going to continue throughout the playoffs. This is the best defense the chiefs have had in as long as I can remember pretty much. Uh, And I think that's going to be the big difference in this game, especially playing in this weather. You know, we, we talked about before week 18, uh, okay, are we, are we Dolphins fans as Chiefs fans because we want to be able to play the Steelers in the first round? And, Alan, you had mentioned, well, maybe we want the Dolphins and the negative 19-degree wind chill that this game's going to have. And now that we're here, I'm all aboard that train. I think that the the weather and the combination of uh, that and our good defense is, uh, is going to make all the difference here. I think the Chiefs are going to walk away with it. Yeah, same. I think uh, I think the the short week, I think the injuries the Dolphins have, I think if everybody was healthy, it'd be a pick em regardless, and I would still lean the Chiefs. I think as many injuries as the Dolphins have had, and they just played a knockout game against the Bills, I think they're reeling a little bit. Um, now, the only way I think the Dolphins pull this off is if the Chiefs do what the Chiefs have done all year to teams to let them win, and that is turn the ball over, um, turn the ball over, and drop passes. So if those two things rear their ugly head, I would not be surprised to see the Dolphins pull it out. They definitely have the weapons to do it, but... If game script goes as it should, if the you know, everybody plays a clean game, should be the Chiefs in this one. And Chiefs are three and a half point favorites via the line. So Steelers Bills Bills are nine and a half point favorites. I it is no surprise. I will be taking the Bills on this one. Um, the Steelers lost T.J. Watt with what I believe to be an MCL sprain, so it's it may be unlikely that he even plays this week. 
the Steelers have a lot of struggles going on, and I, I I don't know how much analysis really needs to go into this. I think if you follow the NFL, you know who the Steelers are, and you know what they are this year, and they're interesting, but the Bills are a much better team overall, so I'll take the Bills. You mean you don't trust Mason Rudolph in Orchard Park? What? Who? <laughs> That's my problem. They, I mean, okay. it's just it's a dumpster fire across the board, so... Yeah, I mean, obviously I'm going to take the Bills as well. I don't mean to say obviously. I don't mean to presume your pick, Allen, but I'm going to take the Bills as well. I do think this game could be scrappier than people realize. Uh, You know, Tomlin has been around for a long time. He's a seasoned coach. Um, This is a team with a a solid defense, and Josh Allen has uh, a habit of turning the ball over a bunch in important games. Uh, But ultimately, the Bills are on fire right now. Um, They've gone through a lot of adversity. They've come out on the other side on top, and I think that's going to carry them through the first round as well. I agree. I think uh, I know we're just doing the money line. I do like the Steelers covering nine and a half. I do think that is a pretty big playoff line. I think the Bills' offense is capable of doing it. But the, if you look at how the Bills have been have been playing, <clears throat> once they get on the 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 plus side of the fifty, they're on the opponent's fifty, and they're going into score. They really rely on Cook to gash them to get into range to then take some shots into the end zone and i'm willing i want to see if the steelers bend in that like if they stonewall and force josh allen into third and longs to have to convert which he can do i think that's going to make this game look just a little different he might turn it over a little bit and it might be a little closer but the i'm impressed with how the bills have changed how they've played football post ken dorsey it hasn't been just throwing up a bunch to um to Stefan Diggs it hasn't been just gunning it every time they've been very methodical hitting tight ends over the middle gashing them in the run game and I think that's kind of playing to a little bit of the Steelers strength I think if they had Watt I'd be a little bit more inclined to take the Steelers but missing the greatest defensive player this year I think is is going to be tough for them to do Uh, but I do like them to cover the nine and a half but I do like the Bills to win Okay, let's go over to the NFC, and we'll do Packers-Cowboys. Cowboys are seven-and-a-half-point favorites via Vegas line. I really want the Packers to win. I don't like the Cowboys. I think the Cowboys are um, – well, I have words for them, but I'll try and keep it PG. I, I want the Packers to win, but I do think that the Cowboys are going to win this game. I think the Packers – you got a lot to be excited about if you're a Packers fan, and I know that we've said that about a couple different teams here, but I, I really truly really believe it. The Packers are a relatively young team. They are have the youngest wide receivers. They have a very young uh, wide receiver core, and then Jordan Love is his first year really as a as – a, NFL quarterback I mean he's been a backup for a couple years under Rodgers so this team has a bright future ahead of him but I don't think they make it any farther I think the Cowboys defense is just it is elite and if uh if Dak Prescott and the the Cowboys offense can minimize minimize mistakes and continue to roll like they have been uh, I think this is going to be a Cowboys game pretty handily I tend to agree. Um, I really, I, I really want to take the underdog here uh, but but I do think the Cowboys you know all the criticism aside, they, they just have a lot of playmakers on both sides of the ball that are capable of disrupting games. And assuming that those playmakers don't completely blow it, which they have done this season, but assuming that that doesn't happen, this game should be uh, the one that they win most handily throughout the playoffs. <clears throat> I'm going to, we're going to have our, I'm going to, I'm going to differ on this one. I like it. I'm going to take, I'm going to take the Packers. I think uh, I, I like what Jordan Love's doing. I like what LaFleur's done with this offense. I think they, they they take their shots when they need to. I think this Packers defense is way better than we give them credit for. 
I think they make a lot of plays. I think if Stefan Gilmore for the Packers or for the Cowboys is out, look like he dislocated his shoulder. That's going to create some some gaps in how they <clears throat> how they cover these Packers wide receivers. Uh, I think it's going to come down to if the Cowboys can generate enough pressure. If they can generate pressure and get to love, that's going to disrupt things. But it's easier said than done. This Packers team has been blocking well. They've been playing together. Um, I one, I'm picking the Packers one because I think it'd be hilarious. Um, and be two, great. I think the I, I, hope I think the Packers, right. <clears throat> I think the Packers play a, a portable style of football that would lend itself to coming out of this game with a victory. So I will take the Packers to upset the Cowboys. I like, I like it. it, and I, I hope you're right. I really do. I want you to be right because I don't like the Cowboys. Uh, in a heartthrob game here, we had the Rams versus the Lions, with the Lions being three and a half or three point favorites here. I will let uh, Scotty. Why don't you go first on this one? Um, this is going to be a shootout, <laughs> and that that lends itself to the the Vegas line here. The over under is fifty one and a half, which is the highest of the first round of the playoffs. And the reason for that is obvious because the Rams have an offense that is very capable of scoring points, and the Lions have a defense that seems hell bent on letting anyone that they play score a shitload of points. But of course, you can't count out the Lions' offense, which has been very good all season long. Um, I think just based on my rant earlier, I'm going to have to go with the Rams. <laughs> okay. Scotty's taking the Rams. Dan Campbell's going to give the ball away on, on fourth. It's going to be fourth and five on his own 24 yard line. They're going to run some stupid uh, frou-frou play that gets blown up and they're going to lose the game because of a deficit they can't mm. overcome. Okay. Alan, who are you taking? <sighs> this is a tough one to, to like try to forecast out. Cause it's a very easy the- game. I think. It is. It really is. And it's really going to come down to, like, I think it's which quarterback do you trust more? Do you trust Stafford or do you trust Goff to make the play at the end? I think that's what it's going to come down to in the fourth quarter. They're going to have to make some key plays. Well, and let's not I, forget here. I just want to highlight this before you you decide. Both of these quarterbacks used to play for each other. Like, the Rams traded the Lions to get yeah, Matt Stafford. And Jared Goff used to play for the Rams. So this is like a... Not only is this a close game as far as, like, the Vegas line and, and the potential, these quarterbacks used to play <laughs> for the other team, which is just a really cool, unique little scenario that you you won't really ever see in the NFL again. So uh, as far as the playoff implications are concerned, this is just a really cool game. This is the game that I have circled as the game of the week for the first round of the playoffs. And I'm very excited for it because I think there's just, there's a lot of narrative and history involved as well as just a close game. Just about every game has storylines. You go back to the Packers and Cowboys, you have McCarthy getting the team that fired him in Dallas. You have Tyreek Hill going back to Kansas City for the first yeah. time. You have the Browns who did the trade to get Deshaun Watson from the Texans going back to the Texans. And then you have this game with the with Stafford and Goff, you know, doing the old switcheroo. Now, the Rams did get a Super Bowl out of it, so I would say this sure. isn't as as intense yeah. for them. I okay, so looking at this game, w- quick question before I, I say mine. Do you think it's a warm reception for Stafford? Yeah. It should. Be. I it should be. I would hope so. I mean, like you, you look at it, and it's like you. I, I saw Lions fans. Like, look at where the team was when they made that trade, and I think that's kind of indicative of they should. It should be heartwarming. Is he left on good terms? He gave it his all with the Lions. It didn't work out, 
and they kind of got it. It was like, yeah, go win your Super Bowl, and and that's what he did. So it, I would hope it would be a warm reception because he was the face of the franchise for the Lions for quite a while, and it was just an unfortunate timing issue, I think, more than anything else. So this is so that answer right there is why I am going to pick the Rams because I think he will be comfy. I don't think they will be in his ear. I think if it's not hostile, I think this is. If you're if you're a Lions fan, this is one of those ones you didn't want to see. You'd rather have somebody in there that you're like, I fucking hate that guy, I hate that team, <laughs> f that. It's going to be loud. But I think they respect Stafford, and I think it's they're going to play. They're going to play and do it. I think he's going to be comfortable. I think he's going to make the plays. I think they're going to get it done in Detroit and knock let, off the line. Let me ask you guys this: Do you think they respect Matt Stafford more than Jared Goff? The fans. I, I don't think so. Oh. You, you look at the Jared Goff throughout most of the season has played competent, pretty good football, able to distribute the ball well. Where we've really seen him fall off are at away games when he has to play in weather, when he's got to play in the cold or in the wind. That's where you see him struggle and throw a lot of interceptions and be less accurate. So all the Lions fans that are in the Dome are, are familiar with a quarterback who has been very, very good all season long. So I think they like him quite a bit. Okay. Uh, I'm going to give you mine now. Guys, I've said at the beginning of the season, I said this, I said, I believe that the Lions are a playoff contending team, right? And some people were in on it. Some people were like, eh, we'll see what happens. I have been a venomous supporter of Dan Campbell since the beginning. I have loved this man. I have loved this team. And why would I leave them now? Because I believe in Sean McVay a little bit more. I think the Rams are going to win this one. It, the the Rams are scrappy. They are finding ways to win in games that are very close. And I have an immense amount of respect for both of these head coaches. But I do think Sean McVay is a little bit more of a seasoned and better head coach. Scotty, you had talked about all of the the Dan Campbell issues that he has had all season. And that, that truly does contribute a little bit to me. You got to have smart play calling. And, and especially when you're going against somebody like Sean McVay and the Rams, you have to be on your A game, and I just I have concerns that the the Lions are going to get outplayed in this game, and I do think that the the Rams come away with a win here. So that's what I'm going to take, and it sucks because I it, but the Lions made it to the playoffs. They did what I needed them to do. I said that, and I do think the Lions are a, a good team, but I just think the Rams are better. Rams, 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 baby. Last one here: Eagles versus the Bucks. Eagles are only two and a half point favorites in this game, according to the Vegas line, which may surprise some people, right? Because you look at what the Eagles offense is, you look at what their defense is as far as a personnel perspective, like I touched on earlier. But this game, as we talked about earlier, is a little bit of a question mark and and maybe anything could happen. Alan, where do you land on this? If you told me like a month ago or a month and a half ago that the Eagles would be playing the Bucks, and the Eagles would only be a two and a half point favorite. I would have thought you were crazy. I would have thought somebody died, like half the team died. Like they got some weird illness and they all died. That's why. I can't believe that this game is here. The Eagles are at the Bucks. I can't believe the line's only two and a half. That seems absolutely insane to me. I might have to go place a bet. I have to cash in a couple tickets anyways. Um, so I might take that action um, with a couple other games. I'm going to take the Eagles. I think the Eagles get it done more so just because the of the ineptitude on the Bucks uh, offensive side. I think Baker give, will give it away a little bit and and make it easier for the for the Eagles than it needs to be. Um, but I, uh, with all the questions we have, I do think the Eagles do get it done. I think they're just far too talented on both lines. 
Do you guys think that, and before you give your answer, Scotty, do you think this is a really, really important game for Baker Mayfield? Like, do you think that Baker Mayfield has already, he's on a one-year contract with the Bucks? Do you think that he has already solidified himself with another contract with the Bucks, given his performance this whole season? Or do we think this is one of those situations where if he wins, he could continue to be their quarterback going into next season, or they might start shopping around if they don't win this game? Like, is this is this career changing for Baker Mayfield, or is he is he safe? What do you guys think? I think that Baker's coming back no matter what. Um, you know, getting them to a playoff, uh, winning the division, I think he's done enough. And the, the fact of the matter is, is that the Bucks aren't in a position to replace him right now. Um, so I think they're going to keep him. You, you look at Baker in a vacuum. We've talked a bit about this on previous episodes. And he, you know, where he should land is a place that has some weapons, wants to compete, doesn't necessarily have a solid draft spot to be able to draft a high quarterback to replace him. You know, that, that's that's where Baker should go. And that describes perfectly the Buccaneers. So I don't think it's worth it for them to go shop around and try and struggle teaching somebody else this offense. I think Baker, with another year in the offense, will be perfectly usable uh, and and see what happens. So I think he's going to stick around no matter what. So you're taking the Bucks then? <laughs> this one's really, really tough for me. And it's going to come down to the fact that for the last five weeks, I have said, okay, the Eagles are pissed. They're going to come out firing. And for the last five weeks, I've been dead wrong about that. Now they're dealing with key injuries. I do think that the Bucks have, despite the fact that they've struggled the last two games as well, I, I do think that they have the momentum. And right now the Eagles have given me exactly no reason to have faith that they can move a ball move the ball against a solid veteran defense that the Bucs have. So I, I, I think if Baker comes out and plays semi-competent football, is able to put up 21 points, I think that's going to be enough. I think they're going to win. You think it would be a slap in the face for Eagles fans? Because I do. Yeah, which makes me sad because I, I want the Eagles to be good. I, you know, I, I, <clears throat> I, I like that team. Uh, I like a lot of the players that they have, but it's just they haven't given me a reason to have faith in them. So I, I think I'd have to lean the Bucks. Slaps, going back to your question about Baker. If you go back to last year, this very similar Bucks team, quarterbacked by one Thomas Brady, they finished the season eight and nine. And they did go into the playoffs. They got thumped, as you remember, in the first round. But... Mm-hmm. You know, Baker leading him to a nine and eight. They're on a little bit of an upswing. I think if he keeps it competitive, and I think he's already in. I think the fact that he led them to the division and they're in the playoffs, I think is good. I think the icing on the cake for him and where he can make more money for himself personally is if they make this really close and the Eagles have to like squeak out a field goal late or they outright win. I think that's where he makes all of his money. So, Scotty, you're taking the box. Yep. Okay. Ooh. I'm going to take the Eagles. I. I I think this really could be more of a coin flip game than than a lot of people realize and care to admit. This could get interesting. Or I could see either one of these teams just beating the shit out of the other one, and I wouldn't be surprised whatsoever because I've seen the Bucks when they are really good. I've seen Baker make some incredible throws and, and incredible plays, and then I've also seen him do the exact opposite, and the same can be said for Jalen Hurts. Both of these, I do think the Bucks' defense right now is playing a hell of a lot better than the Eagles are. I expect Nick Sirianni to get this thing under control, though. I, I think that given the fact that they are in the playoffs and the stakes are now permanent. Like, you look at the Eagles at the beginning of the year, the Eagles looked like the Eagles. They looked a little bit different. They didn't look exactly like they did last year, but they still looked hyper-competitive. I think they got comfortable, I, I, to be honest with you. And and I think that's that's kind of where the Eagles have started to, to fall off at, is they've gotten comfortable knowing that they're probably a drop in the hat to make the playoffs and that they're not playing that we have to win these games because they started out hot. 
now that they made it to the playoffs, I think that, you know, they have to get their shit together. And the, the, the question you have to ask yourself is, did you get too comfortable to the point where you can't compete or can you come out here and still show what you got? I think that Nick Sirianni is going to get him cleaned up and I expect the Eagles to win this game. To give well, Matt a little bit more umph in his prediction. Do it, bro. Where are the <laughs> Eagles the weakest on defense? I would say the secondary. 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 Yeah, secondary. Well, what, what Over the do last the five weeks, it's have? hard to make that argument, too. Yeah, what Mike do the Buccaneers... And, and Chris Godwin. So, yeah, no, I, I get it. If, I think but if you some... also look at Rashad White. Look at Rashad White. And Rashad oh, White has been a focal point in that offense in both the passing it, and the running game. It's it's all if they can disrupt Baker. If they let him sling it to those wide receivers, they they can get chewed up in a hurry. So, I mean, a little bit to, to mass prediction. But if that's where well, it's going to happen, it's going to happen and there. To die- to dive into that a little bit more, right? I, I said on last week's episode that if the Bucks come out, handle business against against the Panthers, and they do end up playing the Eagles, I am going to take the Bucks. And they didn't quite do that, but I also think there's a little bit more to that story as well because the Panthers have been pretty good against opposing quarterbacks all season long. The 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 theory behind that is okay, they don't have to throw the ball to beat the Panthers, but I think that. The Panthers' secondary and uh, and pass rush may be a little bit better than a lot of people give them credit for for that reason. Um, but I, I just think that the Bucks are – I forgot what I was going to say. I, I had a point to make. But I just think that the Bucks are in a better position, given what we've seen from them in the second half of the season, uh, to perform. And it's, it's just the way it is. All right. We'll see. That's it. That's all the playoff predictions for round one and uh, end of the regular season. Excited. So I'm excited. I'm kind of sad. I'm going to be honest. I'm just, I'm excited for the playoffs, but I am a little sad that like, I I just remember 18 weeks ago being so freaking pumped for the start of week one. And like, I still am holding that just little feeling where it's like, I don't care what football it is. I just want to consume it. So like I would watch some shit games because I'm like, I, I need that. And now you know, the last like quarter of the season, I'm like, fuck, I got to watch this game so I can talk about it and give analysis. But like, I could care less. So well, uh, it's, it's kind of sad. It is sad. Watching last week, were you like, um, from fa- from a fantasy perspective, were you like a little bit relaxed? Because you're like, I don't have to worry yeah. about all these points yeah. being scored. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think, I think at the week immediately after like everything's done or, or you get knocked out, like after that, like, yeah. oh God, fucking finally. But still, I hear like, I see CD Lamb touchdown. I'm like, ooh, doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> yeah. It's like, now it's just my personal bets. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Okay, for all right. Whatever. Which, I'm out of here. Like, that's kind of the fun. And then you, you sit there and like the fantasy implications are no longer there. But you're, you're almost still kind of like in that mental state where you're like, okay, what's this guy going to do next season? You're already starting to think about the 2024-25 the season. And you're like, who should I draft? What are their ADPs? And it's just that's the the life we live doing this show and, and being as plugged what? into the NFL as we are. One last question for you boys. Who you got in the national championship tonight? It's got to be Michigan. I'm going to take Michigan. <sighs> I have a bet for – I have Washington. Okay. Ooh, Scotty. interesting. Um, I think I'm leaning Michigan, but more so because I want the Harbaugh brothers to take home some championships together. I think that would be hilarious. That would be pretty funny. The Jimmy John. <laughs> Jim and John. Oh, really quick. I know we're I know we're going through playoff by playoff, but looking at this playoff picture, I know we're signing up. I know we keep doing this. Who, who do you have right now? Just in the like, in the Super Bowl. In the Super Bowl? 49ers. Yep, who's 49ers Ravens? Yeah, 49ers yeah, are gonna win. Same. 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 I think they're the two most complete teams. I think everything else is just it's gonna be fun fan fodder, but it's really just like, okay, <laughs> do any of those teams fuck up? <laughs> yeah. hundred well, and that's the thing, is this season we 
we we say that with confidence because those two teams have looked the most dominant, but every single team in the league has been sloppy this year with all the injuries and everything going on. I think this is true. one of the most wide-open playoffs that there's been in a while in terms of just the array of teams who potentially have a chance. I mean, at this point in time, I wouldn't be overly surprised if any one of these teams, maybe save a couple, uh, you know, made it all the way. But I do think if you're putting money on it, you got to bet 49ers-Ravens. Yeah, yeah. I, I, but I agree, with, I agree with Scotty. I think that... I mean, if this season is any indication that anything can happen, it is kind of wide open. There are a couple of teams where I'm like, eh, there's no way. But for the most part, like, I could see some teams going all the way, like the Bills. Like, I don't think the Bills are the best team, but it, it, it really is any given Sunday this week or this year, I think, more than other years. So on paper, the 49ers and Ravens are the best, and their play has been the most consistent all year. But if you were to tell me that, you know, the Bills made it, I would be like, okay, yeah. If, if, I'm, a, if I'm a Bengals fan... I'm punching the air right now because this is probably the most gettable the AFC's been yeah. since they've been in their powers. And they, I mean, the Joe Burrow injury just kind of shit the bed because they could have easily be, been where the where the Ravens are right now. Just like, well, they're going to go to the Super Bowl. I would, it's just unfortunate because I think if they had the team last year ported to this year, they would be clear cut favorites. Mm-hmm. All right, let's get the hell out of here, gentlemen. Best of luck this upcoming week with our predictions for week one of the playoffs, which is crazy to say, and we're already here. I'm excited for it, and I appreciate your guys' time. I appreciate you guys doing this. And for everybody who is listening and or watching, do greatly appreciate your support. You are a brainiac, and we do love you guys. Last thing, if I could ask anything, is just hit the subscribe button, man. Whether it's on YouTube or Spotify or Apple Music, wherever you're consuming this at, it means the world to us. We are a small little podcast. It is growing. We are growing quite a bit, but uh, we appreciate your guys' continued support as we do this thing. Let's go. We are out. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you tune into our new releases every week on your favorite podcast app. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and check out leatherbrains.com for all of your fantasy football needs. And remember, Brainiacs, a championship should be more than a fantasy.